G'day and welcome to another edition of Authorised, the podcast where writers speak. My name's Kevin Hillier and uh, an amazing body of work we're going to be talking about today uh, that has now become a book, a uh, fascinating story from go to woe. The details of that coming up very soon here on Authorised. But a reminder about our fabulous podcast partners. We all work very hard and you work hard to, to make money and then you want that money to do something for you. You want that money to work for you uh, for now and into the future. So if you're planning your superannuation, my friends at CSCG are the people you should be talking to. They'll sit down with you, work out your financial goals, your financial picture, uh, your reality picture on where your finances are, uh, then work through all the steps to make it work for you. And, and of course, they'll make it work in a way that uh, suits you not only now, but well into the future. Give them a call. It's as simple as that. Double nine seven four eight triple three. They're on the end of that line and they'll be happy to talk to you or jump on the website, cscg.com.au and have a look at all the services they have. Meet some of the people that uh, are involved and they are terrific people. And uh, then you'll get set up. It's the way to do it. The Teacher's Pet by Headley Thomas is an amazing podcast series, uh, a podcast series that uh, took on a life of its own and uh, certainly uh, brought to justice and brought to the, the end uh, an amazing story, an amazing murder story. Uh, now, Headley Thomas is the man who grabbed that story back uh, many years ago, more than 20 years ago, uh, and uh, and has run with it since. And uh, the fruition of all this is now I have in front of me a book called The Teacher's Pet, it's 500 pages worth of the story from every possible angle about this amazing uh, murder murder story. So uh, who better to tell us about it than the man who wrote the book, the man who devised the podcast, and the man who really did uh, put the teacher's pet on the universe, and it, it really is on the universe, trust me with that. Uh, it's Headley Thomas, our guest this week on Authorised. Headley, congratulations on uh, this amazing 500 pages of blood, sweat and tears that you've produced. Thank you, Kevin. It was a journey, but um, I'm really glad that we've reached the end and people will discover something from this book that um, is just so new to them that they appreciate all the effort that's gone into it. The journey started back in March of 2001 when you first sort of wrote something and, and, and uh, got, your, got your head around uh, this, this case. Here we are 22 years later. Uh, have you put it to bed finally? I think we're very close. If I've discovered any positive or concrete leads that could help identify where Lynn Sims's remains are buried, yep. uh, then that would reactivate things for me. But barring that, I believe that we are close to the end of the line now. What was it about this case that captivated you? There were so many compelling features. And, you know, I first discovered it in 2001, as you say, and that's when I was reading about the first inquest that was being run in Sydney. And the inquest and the evidence there just blew my mind. You know, you had a mother who was clearly dedicated and utterly devoted to both her children and to her husband and her mother and her brother, two brothers and her sister, to her community, to her employer. They were very important to her. She was a reliable um, citizen and she had a valuable home. She'd gone to a lot of trouble decorating it. And suddenly she just disappears and nobody hears from her again and she's replaced by a young girl who had been groomed and was in a sexual relationship with the missing woman, Lynn's husband. Those ingredients were 
extraordinary. Those elements made this case so riveting. But then you also have, at the same time, a a husband in Chris Dawson who had been a first-grade footballer. He was charismatic. He was well-known. He had played with the Newtown Jets, this club that had connections with underworld crime figures and contract killers. And he was also an identical twin with an extraordinarily weird relationship with his twin brother. Weird in the sense that they were so bizarrely close. All of those things, you just think, gosh, how is this not compelling or riveting? And and that's what drew me in right at the start. And, uh, and I wanted to write a book about it back in 2001. Um, it's taken me 22 years to write that book, but I revisited the case in 2017 to start the investigation for the podcast that teaches pet, and it really led me to where I am now. The podcast uh, version of this, the teacher's pet. Uh, I mean, you broke a lot of uh, ground. You 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 really, uh, I guess, reinvented or invented true crime podcasting in this country to to a scale that uh, is is unimaginable almost now. You pioneered that in many many ways in terms of uh, the way it just exploded. Yeah, I was very intimidated at the start um, because I'd never done a podcast before, and I also knew that Lynn's case. And the injustice, the treachery, the betrayal, the failure of authorities to to deliver justice to, to this woman—it it, it was epic in terms of you know how serious it all was, and and that's what concerned me because I was worried that I couldn't properly convey all those things. Um, it should have been easy to convey, but when they were so epic. You, you just thought, I'm not good enough to, to demonstrate how bad this is, how wicked this has all been. And, you know, I, um, I just had to bite the bullet and start. And then when I started doing the podcast series and started thinking about how I would write each episode and how it would unfold, I, I just thought, well, I've never done a podcast, but I am a storyteller. I, have, I had previously written a book. Uh, th- that was a true crime book, and I thought I should just write this as if I'm writing a book uh, with chapters that um, we'll call episodes, and that's how the podcast panned out. But then there was so much material that I couldn't use in the podcast, so much that's happened since the podcast, and things that were um, uh, almost, um, you know, you can't, comprehend that they could have happened after Chris Dawson was charged with murder when the 16th episode was dropping, that I realized I needed to put all this into a book and tell the story, warts and all, including the behind the scenes aspects of my investigation and how you set up something as risky as this. It's almost come the full circle to come back to the book, hasn't it, in many ways? It has. It has. It's the it's the book that I thought I might write in 2001 when I first discovered the, this poor woman and her life and then death. And, you know, I remember when I was in a DY police station in March 2001. It was my wedding anniversary and I'd gone down to Sydney because of a police officer who'd been preparing the material for the coroner for the, for the first inquest. 
he had said to me when I rang him and, and expressed an interest from Brisbane, he said, look, I've got permission to show you the police evidence, all of the statements and so on. And I could, I could not believe it. I, I'd never experienced such openness before from a copper, and I haven't since. And so, of course, I, I flew down, and he was true to his word. And that was Damien Loon. And, you know, it was one of those events that um, I I think was so extraordinary because if he had not opened up the files, would we have got to the stage that we did with the prosecution of a man so many years later for murder? Um, I think um, uh, what Damien Loon did then and what he showed me really sowed the seeds for what followed. You could you could see that and and uh, and be exposed to that in the in the way that you were, but then not take it like a, a bull terrier as you did, and and make it kind of almost your life's work. I'm not uh, you know, you've got plenty more to come, but do you know what I mean? It, it obviously triggered something in you that you thought, no, I'm not going to let this one go. That's right. I uh, reached the stage in late 2017, having stayed in contact with Lynn's brother and sister. And having followed you know, the ongoing failure of authorities to do anything, and I don't blame the police in the later years. I blame the Office of the New South Wales Director of Public Prosecutions. I think they were just too tough on this case. And once they'd made an initial decision that they would not prosecute, they seemed loath to reconsider it and properly go through the details. And I've always suspected that the, that the prosecutors actually misunderstood some key parts of the evidence and were perhaps, or perhaps um, overly uh, believing of a claim that Lynn had been seen by a woman at a fruit bar after she had disappeared. There was no such sighting. It was a completely bogus account, and it came initially from the chief suspect, the murderer, her husband. He made this claim, and I think that really caused early investigations and then reviews by the DPP to go off the rails. So um, I wanted to attack that point and others in the, in the podcast and, and then give a lot more detail and context in the book. and. The book's also a bit of a personal memoir. Um, I'm 56 and I'm not sure whether I'll do another book. I've been a journalist almost 40 years and uh, I wanted to, you know, really try to tell uh, a story about what happens in newsrooms and how we take an idea for a podcast uh, by a bloke who'd never done one to fruition. A lot of people uh, supported you on this too, which was uh, not often the case in newsrooms around Australia. That you don't you don't get the the kind of support that you got from your from your peers and and your bosses. I got remarkable backup from other journalists, and uh, I think that they saw in the Teachers Pet podcast uh, a bit of a juggernaut, one that became a news story in its own right, yeah. but one that they believed might, just might, help deliver justice. And, um, you know, prominent media people, journalists like Ben Fordham from 2GB, he was integral in, I think, the journey to justice in this case. He did so much and 
helped uh, loosen the rigidity of police. He didn't want anything to do with me or the podcast. They had an opportunity to leverage from it early on, and they just wanted to ignore it. Uh, Lynn's family wanted them to engage, but Ben was great. He organized meetings between me and the Commissioner of Police, Mick Fuller, and uh, we were able to then share information, which was um, remarkable, and it led to an outcome. Uh, talk about justice being the winner in this case and maybe the justice system being questioned in this case also. Is there something in this, and, I, and I've kind of got this feeling when I spoke to Chris Masters about uh, his book on Ben Robert Smith too, that there's sort of like a journalism, uh, f- fighting for journalism a bit here as well, what we what we lovingly call proper journalism? Yes, I, I found through this experience and over the – three and a half years that came after the podcast that I was having to defend the journalism because the criminal justice system was uh, running and hearing applications from Chris Dawson's lawyers that he should have his whole murder proceeding terminated uh, because of my podcast. And and for, for those applications to be properly heard, they had to examine what I'd done, who I'd interviewed, what I'd said to the, these people, these potential witnesses, and what they'd said to me. And there were these arguments that my journalism had contaminated the case and made it impossible for Dawson to get a fair trial and everybody who heard the podcast and heard my uh, uh, pronouncements or my opinions or heard the opinions of others about this man who'd got away with murder for so long that that, that meant that you know he he had been denied that opportunity. Ultimately, of course, the High Court of Australia said we're not going to even hear that that application. He's his bids were rejected in the lower courts as well. But for a long time, uh, you know what I'd done, my methods, my work, my recordings and interviews and notes, text messages, they were all made available. Headley, there's two sort of, I guess, audiences for this book. One is uh, the people who uh, hung on every word of the podcast and others that, that, you know, don't know anything about it. So what do you want mm. people who, who did follow the case as closely as, as you did uh, through the podcast, what do, you, what, what do you want them to get out of this book and what, do you, what have you put in, in, in this book for them? I want them to see how unjust, how extraordinary the failure of authorities was in the early years. And I want them to see and read how a journalistic journalistic investigation takes shape and also the toll that it takes on the people who are closest to it. So I'm talking about Lynn's family and friends and the storyteller, you know, it takes a toll on journalists as well when they take risks such as we took with this story because we were effectively calling out a man who'd never been convicted of anything, who was enjoying a peaceful retirement on the Sunshine Coast of Queensland. We were calling him out as a murderer and uh, probably a pedophile as well. And, And that is a very big step to take in journalism. Um, we would not do that lightly, and we didn't do it lightly. And I think there's a fascinating backstory in how a newsroom works and how 
editors and the lawyers who advise us, sub-editors and, and the journalists themselves, how we step through this process. I think there's also um, you know, remarkable insights into police work and the highs and lows of investigations. Uh, it's a story for people who are interested in how trials unfold, how um, journalism can make a difference, and how people who have been wronged by the system, it's never too late to possibly deliver justice to to them or to their loved ones. Did you, uh, during the, the, the course of all this, did you, I mean, you must have felt like you were on trial at times. I did. <laughs> I felt the journalism yeah. and the podcast was certainly on trial. Yeah. And I was the most relieved man in, in Australia when the guilty verdict was delivered in August last year. Were you expecting the guilty verdict or was there part of you that was going, oh, I'm not sure? No, as the trial unfolded and the failure of Chris Dawson's side to, uh, I think, demonstrate his innocence was um, so apparent, the evidence, circumstantial though it was, was so overwhelming of his guilt uh, I became increasingly confident that he was going to be convicted. 21 years in the making, this book in, in many ways, or 22 years in the making, I suppose, uh, if I get my arithmetic right there. Um, obviously, now that now that you look at it and it sits there on the bookcase, uh, an enormous sense of relief as, as much as satisfaction and, and that from this? Oh, there really is. I'm very proud of it, and I'm very proud of everybody who helped me. I'm grateful. I feel privileged to have had the opportunity to take on this case. And I think, you know, there's a lesson there. Uh, Sometimes those stories that we do early in our career that make an impact but remain unsolved, you know, it's never too late to revisit things. Uh, Would Chris Dawson be in Long Bay now if... Um, we had not revisited a story in 2018 that you know I first wrote about as a Brisbane journalist in 2001. It's it's a, an important question, and I I am just so enormously grateful to everybody who helped me. Uh, the book is probably for me uh, the final word on this, um, apart from uh, no doubt the. Conversations I'll have around the book, but you know it, it is um, hopefully the full stop on what has been you know, uh, an incredibly important journey and and a story that's touched thousands of women in particular. You know, I have heard from literally thousands of women over the last five and a half years who have been deeply uh, moved by Lynn's story, um, who have been able to identify with parts of her story and who have been, I think, stunned that police work was so bad in the early years and that you know, a woman who was only ever um, a loving and dedicated person could have just been um, forgotten by authorities and, and, and not, not given justice. And there's, you know, I think there's a, something to, for all journalists as well to take from this journalists who want to make a difference, that if there's a story that has been nagging at them, you know, it's never impossible to to try and tell it in a different way you know, and deliver 
an outcome that will hopefully right a terrible wrong. The next obvious step for this story is for it to become a, a movie or a telemovie or a miniseries. Has, has that been discussed with you? Oh, it definitely has been discussed, yeah. and I think that it would make a remarkable drama series. Lynn's family supports that, uh, if done tastefully, and I would certainly ensure that it would be done tastefully. Um, it would be an amazing, um, I think, uh, drama series because it's such a uh, it's such an exceptional and extraordinary case, and. It's cinematic at every level as well. Um, I think there's so much about this and it takes people back to their own school years. It's a story that spans four decades now. And I, um, yeah, I hope that that comes about, but um, that's a way beyond level of experience. Yeah. Hedley, uh, congratulations on the book. Congratulations on this as a body of work because it's more than just a, a book really in many ways, even though we're talking about the book. it's It's been a, a body of work that you should be mighty proud of. Uh, and thank you so much uh, for spending some time having a chat. I really appreciate it and uh, thank you for giving me this time. Well, thanks to Headley for his tenacity as much as anything else. An amazing uh, work and uh, a book that you, you should read. If you were captivated by the podcast series, uh, then this is the uh, the full stop on the end of it for you. Uh, and hopefully, uh, I'm, I know you'll enjoy uh, this book, The Teacher's Pet. It is out now uh, through uh, Macmillan. Uh, and thanks to Headley for his time. Thanks to you for listening. Uh, plenty more uh, authors that I've spoken to in uh, previous podcasts that are available where you found this one and plenty more coming up in the future. Thanks to my very good friends at CSCG. If you want a financial future that is uh, looking pretty good, they're the people to talk to. Give them a call. Double nine seven four eight triple three, or jump on the website cscg.com.au. Until the next time, read a book. It'll be fun. It'll be fun.